Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Over the Outrage, where we'll be subverting the outrage industrial complex one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brittany, and I'll be bringing you perspectives on life and politics from outside the DC bubble. Outside, as I'm recording, it's February 11, 2021. We're about to begin the third day of the impeachment trial of the twice-impeached ex-president and would-be autocrat, Donald J. Trump, but we'll get to that in just a bit. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have been asking, why the heck is Brittany starting another political podcast? Well, I've asked myself that question a lot, too. Um, the truth is, I wanted to find the right outlet to cover our modern political situation for quite some time. Uh, for whatever reason, I've made excuses and just never followed through with making this a reality. Uh, the last year, writing out the final year was already a crazy administration and time in our country, and then adding on a worldwide pandemic... I realized it's going to take all of us bringing whatever skills and talents we have to help each other understand the world around us and make the right decisions and ensure our future is one of greater freedom, not less. And um, I don't think that, you know, cable news does a very good job um, of getting to the bottom of, of our political situation. Um, they're very good at covering the moment of the day, um, and they're great at generating outrage and clicks, you know, by, by blowing stories out of proportion. Um, but I, I feel like there's a need in the market, uh, in the market especially now, uh, of political shows that try to calm the rhetoric down a bit. And, and try to get to a, to a deeper understanding of, of what's going on in the world and, and how we can better navigate these situations. As an attorney, uh, 15 years I might add, uh, I took an oath in 2005 to support and defend the Constitution and the rule of law. Um, as an undergraduate student, I studied sociology I'm fascinated with the intersection of the modern world economy with social institutions, culture, and politics. Everything I studied as an undergrad back at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma you know, tells me that you know the, the transformation and transition of the world economy was going to, to cause some tumultuous times in the 2010s and 2020s. And that this was going to be a time of great transformation and transition as the center of the world economy moves away from American hegemony. And we're seeing this happen now in real time. Um, my hope is, with my background in sociology and practicing law and working in politics, I've been everything from the candidate to the canvasser, from the communications person to the finance person to the campaign manager, um, that, you know, I can bring you a perspective on the world that cuts through the outrage and the clickbait, and that together we can help come to a better understanding of that world around us. Um, 
So today, for the first episode, we will be covering uh, a little bit of the impeachment trial. Um, first place I want to start is just uh, uh, the first couple days of, of testimony we've seen so far. We, we saw on, on day one, uh, which was just uh, Tuesday, February 9th, the, the main point of that discussion that day, um, despite the fact that Democrats played a, a, a video that really kind of got into some of the substance of what happened, um, but the main, the main discussion that day was really over the, the constitutional jurisdiction of the Senate. Um, and, and the big fight was, you know, does the Senate have jurisdiction to, to try a former president who has now left office uh, despite the fact that he was impeached while he was still in office. Um, does the Senate even have a reason to continue the trial or is that now a moot point? And um, the Democratic House managers did a great job making the case that this indeed is constitutional. Um, there is there is an argument to be made that that maybe the Constitution wouldn't have um, called for uh, a trial after the the removal from office has already happened um, via other means. Um, for one thing, the Constitution itself is is a little bit vague and unclear on it. Uh, it does give the the Senate the power to the sole power to try all, any and all impeachments of executive officers. Um, but, you know, the, the impeachment clause in regards to the president, it does somewhat, you know, the wording some, somewhat suggests that, that maybe it was meant to impeach presidents who are in office. Um, so so there is, a, is somewhat of an argument to be made now, as a practical matter, um, you know, it, it's pretty clear and the Democratic House managers did a great job of making it clear that, in fact, um, legal scholars, the founders themselves, you know, every everybody understood the impeachment power to to continue to to hold even after a, a bad actor has left their executive office, um, and so so I don't I don't think that you know this was a, a big deal. But um, what really struck me was the the lack of coherence um, from the president's attorneys. Um, it was very clear they were underprepared. Um, from what I've now gathered from reporting after the fact, it, in fact, it sounds like um, the original plan was to have um, David Schoen, uh, the attorney who ended up going second on day one for President Trump, was supposed to actually go first. Um, but in light of how good the Democratic House managers presented their case, he had to rewrite his whole argument and um, so Bruce Castor got up and, and basically, in, in the words of some Twitter commenters, I was saying uh, filibustered for, you know, an hour and a half or so, um, you know, with regaling the Senate with stories of how good the senators are and, um, 
really just um, seeming to use a lot of words to say nothing. Um, and then when when Shone finally did get up and get into his argument, it it was it was you know a good three quarters of the way into his own argument before he got to the coherent argument that that was really the only argument they could have been making in the first place. So I really don't know why their strategy was so derailed. Um, you know, it it was such a bad performance that freshman Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, uh, afterwards, uh, after last week voting that it was not constitutional to move forward, this week voted that it was, and he cited that the House managers had made their case and that the president's attorneys had not. Um, so that's... That's pretty significant. Um, they did such a bad job, they already have lost a vote. Um, then yesterday, February 10th, day two. Day two was really focused on Democrats making their full opening argument into why President Trump is responsible for what happened on January 6th. And I think they, the whole day, they did a fantastic job of weaving the story together with tweets of the president, video clips of where the rioters were. Um, in those video clips, they smartly added graphics that showed where in the Capitol the insurrectionists were and compared those dots on the screen of the map of the Capitol to, you know, where the, the senators and Congress people were. Um, it was a very compelling um, argument uh, that just hours and hours of video footage. We, we saw some of it new footage. Um, they brought on previously unreleased security footage from inside the Capitol, which was um, just breathtaking to see. Um, uh, I believe it was uh, rep it was either Representative Nagoose or Swalwell who mentioned having stepped off the steps. Uh, between where the insurrectionists had got in the building to where the members of Congress were evacuating, and he paced it off at 58 steps. We were literally within minutes of a ginned-up insurrectionist mob getting to members of Congress and doing unspeakable acts. Um... I, I think the thing that probably struck me even the most um, throughout the Democratic House manager's presentation on day two was how much it felt like the Democratic House managers were trying to look out not just for Democrats, but pointing out that they were trying to look after the lives of their Republican colleagues, and that it seems from what I can tell, that the Democrats care more about the lives of their Republican colleagues than their Republican colleagues do. Um, 
the degree to which the Republicans remain enthralled to uh, a sore loser who couldn't accept losing and tried to literally throw away our democracy by taking it over by force. Um, it's a real problem, and it presages something that, you know, I, I think is getting overlooked still, uh, um, which is the context, the worldwide context in which this is all taking place. And, and I get it. Cable news can't get to all of this. They're, you know, they're focusing on, on the news of the moment, but in the greater context, you know, the, the movement of Trump and of Brexit and, you know, P Putin powering himself up and, and trying to, to pump himself up on the world stage. Um, this is all part of a, a global transition in the world economy. And, you know, as, as American hegemony has waned, that's causing, you know, instability within the United States, which has then caused, you know, there's an instability within the world. You have countries like Russia and China that want nothing more than to show the world that democracy is a failure and that, you know, that their way of dictatorial centralized rule is the way. And, and so we are in a global battle. And I know in America, we're fond of, of the saying that the, the, arc, uh, the arc of history bends toward justice. And President Obama was fond of saying this. But it's important to remember it only bends toward justice if we're bending it that way. Um, it's not a natural consequence of things. It's a, it's a consequence of our actions and activities. So it, it truly is up to us to maintain vigilance um, and to, to stand on the side of democracy um, and of constitutional rule of law um, and to defend the rule of law and, you know, this kind of... Um, framework of freedom and democratically elected governance uh, against the, the rise of authoritarianism worldwide. Um, historically, these things don't go away fast, though. Um, in the last few months, I've spent a, a good amount of time studying, you know, various insurrection attempts of the 20th century and it is just striking how much this bears resemblance to the era around World Wars One and Two in the 1900s in the 20th century, um, and you know, down to the you know the right wing using the same threat of leftist communist actors taking away all your money. Um, it's, it's the, it's an age old story. Um, and, and the rhetoric that we're hearing from the, the American right is, is in fact very much the rhetoric that you heard out of Nazi Germany, out of Mussolini's Italy, 
out of, um, you know, Franco's Spain. Um, this is, this is truly part of a global situation and it's not unique to America and, and it, it helps to understand that this isn't all going on independently. Now, I do want to get on to some Twitter questions. I know I did have a few roll in this week. Um, this is my very first foray into podcasting, so so bear with me as, as I fumble around the, the first couple episodes here and get into a groove. Um, I sure do appreciate all of y'all tuning in to, to give me a chance to 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 try to try to try to have something valuable to the conversation here for you. Now one of the Twitter questions I got was from Movis at blanking on the name. And Movis wants to know can the vote be a secret ballot. Um, you know, I don't. I don't see why it couldn't. Um, in this particular case, it can't because the the Senate passed its rules for this particular trial, um, and they do not call for a secret ballot vote. Um, I think there's some strategic reasons why that could be good or could be bad. Um, strategically, I, I could see why it might be more likely you might get a conviction in that case. Uh, as we just saw in the last week or so with Liz Cheney's vote to remain uh, third in line in the House Republican Caucus, uh, in, a, in a secret ballot vote, she survived pretty easily. Um, and I think there's a good chance that if that were a public ballot, uh, that would not have been such a, such a lopsided vote in her favor. Um, so, so I can see why that strategy might seem appealing. But on the flip side of that, strategically, from the Democratic side, um, there's a lot of strategy in wanting, even if we don't get a conviction, to have several of these U.S. senators on the record um, supporting the insurrectionist activities that took place. And, um, you know, that's going to be very powerful in the upcoming elections in 2022. Um, it's one thing, you know, that brings to mind to me now is, you know, we cannot have 2022 be a repeat of 2010. And what I mean by that is in 2010, uh, the Republicans took the House, you know, just two years into President Obama's administration. And, you know, from that point forward, getting anything actually done legislatively became impossible because Republicans made it clear that their only goal was not legislating, but was in fact to make Obama a one-term president. They failed at that, but they did succeed in stifling most of the Democratic agenda. 
which is why, you know, to this day, the minimum wage hasn't raised since, you know, around 2010. And uh, why we haven't been able to do anything for the environment and why we haven't been able to um, pass immigration reform. So there's a lot of reasons why Democrats, I think, want to get these GOP senators on the record on these votes. Um, so while, while there's nothing in the Constitution that requires the ballot to be public, uh, the rules that were passed uh, to, to outline how this trial would proceed don't allow for it. And strategically, it makes better sense for the Democrats to, to get these guys on the record. And that leads me to another question. I, you know, don't want to send it to just, uh, uh, not send it. <laughs> I don't want to assign it to just one Twitter follower, as I saw many folks on Twitter saying, well, you know, what's the point of this if we're not going to get a conviction anyway? And as I just was mentioning, I, I think there is a, a point to this still. For one, you know, this presentation so far has shown me things I didn't know before. And I, I think I study this stuff pretty closely and I, I watch the news very closely and have been following this story in great detail. Um, so they've been able to show us things we didn't necessarily know before. Um, they're showing the American people in large blocks on all the networks, you know, getting national coverage of, of exactly what happened and exactly how Trump stoked those, those flames and put the kindling in place and you know, put the lighter fluid in place and lit the match. Now, that's all been very clearly laid out just in day two of the testimony um, from the House managers. And you know that it must have stung pretty good when all that Mike Lee could do at the end of the evening last night was try to object to um, statements from his office being... Uh, used as testimony and, and you know, trying to, to make a fit about how dare you, you know, bring me in as a witness when I didn't testify to anything. And, you know, it was, it was all public quotes from a public article that his office had, had you know, been quoted in. But whatever, I mean, it, if anything, it just showed that you know, that presentation was powerful and it has those GOP senators who've been trying to make excuses quite scared um, because they are going to have, a, have to take a tough vote on this uh, at the conclusion of this trial. And it's not going to be easy. Well, where do we go from here? I have a lot of things I want to talk about in coming weeks. Um, as we get ramped up here in the initial part of this show, I'm going to try to be dropping episodes weekly uh, on Thursdays uh, to where they'll be out, you know, where you can see them on Friday morning at the latest. Um, so I'm going to be dropping this one today, Thursday the 11th. Um, 
there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on in the world. And uh, I just hope that, you know, we can, this can be a forum for getting beyond the clickbait and getting beyond the outrage machine. Um, and the next episode, I do want to focus more on why I call it the outrage industrial complex and and what we can what we can do to get beyond some of that so uh thank you for joining me stay warm out there especially if you are in the middle of the country like i am uh, i'm up in minnesota right now it was minus 16 degrees fahrenheit when i got up this morning i know some of my old friends in oklahoma are seeing almost minnesota levels of cold for a long stretch of time for maybe the first time in their lives. Hang in there, wear layers, lots of layers. Um, that will help you get through it. Um, stay safe, stay warm, and make sure to wear a mask if you're out and about. Thank you very much for joining me. I will talk to you next week.